when it's described in the when um, this person, I'm assuming that you know this book, Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad means God, possesses all opulences, all strength, beauty, knowledge, wealth, fame, renunciation. And Gita means song, to so the song of God. And in the song of God, um, he's explaining um, the, the nature of the soul, the nature of this material world, uh, the nature of the Supreme Lord. He also explains time and karma, or action. And um, when Arjun, Arjun is his friend, and he's faced with a dilemma, uh, as many of us have dilemmas all the time to face. And um, at a certain point, he put forth many moral and ethical reasons, and even what we may consider like sub-religious or um, close, to, you know, close to true religious ideas, but it wasn't satisfying his heart. It wasn't. It wasn't bringing him to the point of connecting to what he was really searching for. So at one point, Karpanya Dosha, he actually at this one point in the Gita, he tells Krishna that. Um, well, that's where you go out right to the page. Karpanya dosha pahata sabhavan. That Krishna, he tells Arjuna's time Krishna, that I'm confused about my situation in this material world. I'm totally confused. And with just a little history, Arjuna was a warrior. He was a, he was a fighter by nature. And um, although we don't like to fight and we're in, we like to avoid those kind of things. Sometimes violence is necessary. Just like if all of a sudden somebody comes in here and starts to violate any one of the people present here's space, any one of us that has the capacity to stop that from happening would show some aggression towards that person. But that type of aggression is authorized. In other words, that if, if well, I've often said this, that um, Say, for example, somebody comes in the room and I'm sitting here saying, I'm the Swami, I'm in this realized position, I see Samadarshana. Samadarshana means that I see all things equal, be they evil or good, I see them equally because of my spiritual position. But if something comes in and causes disturbance or violates some other person's face and I say that because I am nonviolent, I am uh, equal vision, I am this, and I don't do the whatever is a, within my capacity to stop that violence, then that act is an act of violence. Mm -hmm. Not being violent at that point, or not being, not trying to stop that violence by using violence is an act of violence. Mm -hmm. Just like we recently had this big fire in California, mm -hmm. Montecito County. I used to hang out there back in the 60s But um, there was a huge place, and sometimes what they do in order to stop the fire is that they'll light a fire in one spot that they can contain, and that fire will burn into that other fire, and then it will it'll kill it off. So what they say is sometimes fire is used to counteract fire. So in the same way, violence has a purpose, 
and that is when it's utilized properly. It's not meant to be used um, for one's own um, personal benefit or personal, um, what would you say, anger and desire, is that word? <laughs> yeah. In other, words, in other words, for our own personal gain, or our own personal prestige, or our own personal whatever. But if it's actually used to help other living entities, um, just even on a material level, to protect themselves, what to speak of on a spiritual level, to protect them, then that is known as non-violence, even though it may be an act of violence. An example that is given in this, um, by our teacher, the founder of the Krishna Conscious Movement, is that when a, just like, no one, if I took out a knife and asked, does anybody here want to be, want me to slice you open? I mean, unless you're, what do they call it, kind of sadistic? Masochist. Masochist. Everybody will say, please, you know, if you're going to cut somebody, just cut yourself, whatever. And, um, but when, say you had uh, some kind of tumor or some kind of infection or whatever it may be, um, then this, this surgical knife, the cutting is actually beneficial. In other words, that, that's bona fide cutting. To use it in a medicinal way or a helpful way. But the same, the same surgical instrument used in, a, in a, a criminal way is not bona fide, it's not authorized. So when, uh, when the, the culminating effect of Arjun's uh, dilemma was that he really feels he's actually confused. And in that confused state of mind, he's lost his composure. In other words, he's, he's become weak. He's lost his self-esteem. He's lost his self-understanding. And he says, in this condition, I'm asking you to tell me for certain what is best for me. When we come to this point of indecision, in other words, I don't know. And this is an honest, this is a point of where we come into a state of honest introspection. When we realize that this, this needs something more than what I can, can do. I have to go to a transcendental level. So then Arjun says, now I'm your disciple and I'm a soul surrendered unto you. Please instruct me. So this whole Bhagavad Gita is a series of instructions to Arjun from Krishna. In the introduction to this Bhagavad Gita, it, uh, it describes that when one, when one is studying or researching or even reading Bhagavad Gita, as one reads this, this uh, treatise, this Bhagavad Gita, that um, our, the founder of our society says that at least in the beginning, even though one may not have direct realization that the Supreme Lord is speaking. But just to, in theory, just in theory, say to yourself, this is the Supreme Lord speaking. Now, if we think that way, if we think that way, that the Supreme Lord is actually speaking to someone who's in a state of confusion, who's in a state of bewilderment, who has basically, um, in one sense, lost hope or lost a connection to themselves and to the world around them, which I don't make assumptions, but I would assume that everyone has experienced that because most of us have, that, that Arjun turned to a superior source of knowledge. And in the same way, we also have that opportunity. 
because this Bhagavad Gita was spoken some 5,000 years ago. It was recorded by Veda Vyas, which was a literary incarnation of the Supreme Lord. And it is transmitted, or it is, um, it comes down in disciplic succession, in other words, student, disciple, to from a teacher to a disciple, and then at a certain point that disciple becomes teacher and he has students and that person becomes teacher and he has students and this goes on the, if, in the, in the, at the end of the introduction there's a whole list from Krishna down to Brahma down to the founder of our society the Krishna Conscious Movement a whole list of the succession of where this knowledge comes from and how they utilize the previous teachings that were given throughout the millennia to keep the information vibrant and what would you say up to date or practical from uh, the modern situation that we're in today. Um, just like the founder of our society grew up in, he was born in uh, Calcutta and he was born in a family of, we can't say the Hare Krishna moment because it didn't exist then but if you want to know what the Hare Krishna movement is, we are Brahma, Gaudiya, Vaishnavas, which means we come from a lineage. That Brahma is Brahma, Gaudiya, Vaishnava means we come from a lineage starting from the first created being in this universe through a uh, system that comes to the Bengal area of teachers and comes up to this present day. And so he was born into such a family. He was born into a family of Vaishnavas, or those who worship Krishna. And he was born in that family, and he had took up this process of Krishna consciousness due to that birth in the very beginning of his life. And later on in, in the Gita, um, in, the, in the commentaries, when he met his teacher, um, he had just finished his um, college degree, and he was married and had some children, and he ended up going to see this saintly person. One of his friends was begging him, actually. Please come and see him, because Babu, you're like the one, if you give him the stamp, then everybody will agree that this person, because he was kind of like the leader of the pack, I guess, I don't know if you can go probably. He was like, the, everybody respected him for his opinion, especially about these things. And so, as soon as he um, went into the room in India, um, when you meet a, a saintly person, the tradition is you bow down. You just bow down, you touch your, your head to the floor. A lot of times people maybe just take their hand and touch it to the floor and put it to their head. Just like I do before, this seat here is the seat of the teacher. And because it's a respected seat, before I sit in it, I always touch it and put it to my head in respect to all those. Mm. May, they may have not personally sat on this seat, but because the seat represents that, lineage, mm. I have to, I have a deep responsibility not to deviate from that lineage. Mm. And so even before, even before the founder of the Hare Krishna movement got fully set up, uh, his soon-to-be teacher said, you're educated, there was two of them, you're both educated young men that speak English language, you should go to the West and spread Krishna consciousness where it's most needed. And he was saying, yeah, wait a second, we're in a uh, we're, 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 in a, we're in a country that doesn't even have independence. We're under British rule. Who's going to listen to us? And his teacher convinced him that the message 
of Krishna consciousness superseded all political and social, uh, in what would you say, disagreements or inadequacies or whatever it may be. And at that point, he actually understood that this message of uh, bhakti yoga or the message that was being presented by Krishna in this Bhagavad Gita was in the hands of a very qualified person. And at that point, he accepted that person as his teacher in his heart. And then a few years later, it was about 10, 12 years later, he took formal initiation, formally um, taking what they call addiction or initiation from that person. And throughout their um, encounters, he always encouraged him. Because he was a family man, he had a business, he was in the pharmaceutical business, the legal one, not the illegal one. Um, he was in the pharmaceutical business. And, um, and every time he met his Guru Maharaj, he would say, please, if you get money, print books and, and distribute books. If you get money, please do this. And always and, and encourage him for this Western preaching mission. So when he retired from life, uh, and um, slowly dwindled out, uh, what do you call it, slowed down his business affairs and then family affairs, which is very common in India. In America it may be seen as a little obscure, but in India it's very common where a husband and wife in their retirement, in the first part of it, it's called Vanaprast. Grihasta is household life, and Vanaprast is retired life. It's when the kids are growing up and everything is slowing down the empty nest syndrome is happening and everybody's wondering what are we supposed to do and what it is, what actually it is is a, it's, it's a time in life in the West we call it the midlife crisis but for in the Krishna consciousness we call it the midlife opportunity because so many things are now settled down on that side that we were spending so much time and now we have the opportunity to do this so in retired life, the husband and wife would, in, be, in the beginning, begin to um, go out and share together um, spiritual realizations that they, that they developed through their study and through their um, growth in marriage. I mean, everybody that's had any companion knows that there's a series of growth symptoms that are very teaching. <laughs> They're quite teachable, and they teach us a lot of tolerance and patience and compassion and understanding and bewilderment and <laughs> so many things. And so then at a certain point, the, 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 the wife will slowly um, start taking care of the elder children's children to make sure that they're being spiritually guided. And the husband will slowly separate out and go out and do uh, sharing of spiritual knowledge on his own, and then at a certain point, the husband will uh, give up family life altogether, and that's called that. That the the retired part is called vana prasta. Vana means forest, and prasta means to go to the forest. So literally, the, the husband and wife would literally go to the for the areas, the villages, and stuff. And then at the end, they take up sannyasa. Sannyasa means the complete renunciation of all material connection. And so they disconnect them. The husband will disconnect themselves. From the, from the family and just dedicate all their energy to sharing Krishna or spreading Krishna consciousness to the world. And in this, it's actually, when you think about it, it's actually a very, very perfect system. I mean, sometimes it goes the other way, but in general, this is the way it does. 
because the wife is engaged in protecting the, the younger children and the husband's engaged in taking care of the outside, outside um, uh, people. And so both are properly engaged in that way. And so Srila Prabhupada did that. The founder of our society did that. And he, uh, and he took up the renounced order of life and then began publishing. Uh, um, uh, he'd already started, started that when he was a businessman, uh, uh, a magazine. It's called Back to Godhead. And then he kept on doing that, Back to Godhead. And finally one day one person came up and said, why are you making these little, it was just a little like one piece of paper magazine or two piece of paper magazine. You need to do some, you know, make a book. You know, people take these little pages of paper, they read it once, and they just throw it in the trash. You, if you have a book, then they're not going to it. So then he decided to translate his Bhagavad Gita and also post study of Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam. And when he had the first three volumes of that Bhagavatam finished, he wanted to go to America. As I was explaining to my new friends last, uh, last week, or the week before, uh, I think the week before, a couple weeks before, yeah. yeah. The, um, the, um, somehow or other he got a, he got a um, invitation. In those days you had to get a sponsorship to come to America. So one of his friend's son had come to America and married an American girl and so he had American status. And he sent, he was, he was always sending his son, you know, please bring this daughter to America. Please bring this. So his son was getting them on a regular basis. And finally, you know, the one from our teacher came in and he signed it and sent it back. And somehow he got his passport. And, he got, and then he got a visa for America. And then he went out and uh, solicited uh, uh, passage to America. So you know how he got here. He came in a cargo ship. It's not like he got a, you know, he, did, he wasn't on, you know, when they say flight Emirates and get that, now, what is it, Itihad? Itihad Airlines, they have something above first class where it's called the residence, where you have your own shower, a couch, double bed, you know, a butler standing outside the dark. It, it's okay, it's only $30,000 each way to India, so we'll just, we'll just take the whole group, right? So anyway, you know, it's not that he was in a lap of luxury, he was lit literally on a cargo ship in a little cabin coming across the Atlantic. And in that, in that journey, for whatever 20 days it was, he suffered two heart attacks along the way. Mm. And he records those in his journal. He keeps a journal every day. I ate a half a banana, I ate you know, this, I ate that. Every little thing is documented, what he did. It's quite interesting how he organized his life in that way. And somehow or another, he thought if he had one more heart attack, he wouldn't survive the trip. And he gets to America, and then he, he lands in Boston, and then the ship goes from Boston to New York and on that ship, right, that last little leg, he writes a little poem to Krishna. My dear Lord Krishna, why have you brought me to this place? It's crazy. It's so filled with the mode of ignorance and the mode of passion. These people's brains will never understand the message of Krishna. It, I don't see how it's going to work. But Krishna, you somehow or another made an arrangement that I'm coming here, that I came here. So if I'm supposed to dance, then you make me dance. You make me dance. And you make me dance. Those are, a humble plea from his heart. So this Krishna consciousness movement began like that in that humble beginning. And so of course the history is he ended up in Butler, Pennsylvania where his sponsor was from, small town. 
And then he ended up on the Lower East Side of New York City in 1965, 66, not winter of 65, 66. And in the summer, a bunch of the local, you know, what do you call it, um, Bowery people or Lower East Side people got together and rented a little storefront in an apartment. And the high Christians. And the beatniks, and the bohemians. I think that bohemians first, then beatniks, and hippies. <laughs> <laughs> and then yuppies, and then punks, and then whatever. I don't know. Millennials. I, I, I read, actually, I read up what millennials are, and I really didn't understand it. I really ought to work on it again. Um, and so the Krishna Conscious Movement came from that. And so this idea of surrendering, in other words, not understanding what to do, you can see was in the heart of Srila Prabhupada when he entered into America, that here I am in a place, it's a foreign country. He had less, he had, he had, he had 40 rupees at that time, which is like $10 when he, when he got to America. He had like $10 in his pocket. I mean, $10 in New York City, you can't, I mean, now you can't even get a hot, you know, an herbal tea for $10 can't even get a bus pass for the day for $10, you know. Of course, then you could, you know. So anyway, he started the Hare Krishna movement from there, but I guess the reason I was saying this is because this verse here, actually I was going to do a whole other verse, or talk about a whole other topic about what we need, the nature of this body. But because I asked if anybody, everybody's week was okay, and everybody said yes, and I said I don't believe it because there's always bumps in the road. Because Arjun was quite confused. Here he was, you know, the personal friend of the theoretical supreme personality of Godhead. If not the actual, if you can come to the point of accepting Krishna as the supreme personality of Godhead, because it's it's not that hard. Because Krishna just means all attractive, and if you say God, you automatically think that He's got to be the most beautiful, wealthy, strength, knowledge, you know, intelligent. Renunciate. You know, it, he's got to be the most of everything. And so that's what Krishna means. And those are, just like, for example, if a very wealthy person, no one wealthy person walks through the door, we'll all go, oh, wow, that dude's rich. We'll all be, our brain will go that direction. Or if a beautiful man or beautiful, we say a handsome, handsome man or beautiful lady walks in, although I'm gender neutral, I guess I just distinguish between men and women. But, um, You'll be, your mind will automatically, or if a famous person comes in, to say, I don't know, who's a famous person? The President of the United States? <laughs> for some he's famous, for some he's infamous. For myself, I read the Bhagavad Gita, and the Bhagavad Gita says that one should not be disturbed by social political upheavals in this world, be they good or bad. Mm -hmm. One should be neutral, because they're all temporary. Whatever the situation is today, it's not going to be, it's not going to be there permanently. That which is material is temporary. And that which is eternal, with that which is spirit, is eternal. So all the temporary situations we find ourselves in today will be different tomorrow, or the next day, or the next year. So I'm apolitical, if that's such a word. Yeah, I'm not political. For me, I've been through 16 presidents. I haven't noticed a big difference in my whole life. <laughs> I mean, I still got my, you know, Cheerios when I was a kid, and I'm still getting my, you know, smoothie in the morning now, so. For me, it's just like, whatever. In Sanskrit, it's yet, yet, eva, like, whatever. 
And so, you know, if a fam if you know, if if a famous person walks in the room, some famous movie star or athlete or something will be attracted, fame, or or, uh, or somebody that we know is like super smart walks in, will be automatically attracted. So these attractive things, they're, they're, they're attractive. So Krishna means the most attractive. And in fact, the word Krishna means one who attracts. If you, you one who is attractive, attracts. Uh, the opposite effect of the, of the attraction is that he attracts us. And so, when, when, I, when Krishna, when Arjuna surrenders unto Krishna, he's surrendering to him as his guru. He wants Krishna as his guru. He says, I, I can't figure it out. I need help. And so in the, in the commentary, this is what I wanted to, this, everything I said so far was just to read this sentence. <laughs> by, nature's, <laughs> by nature's own way, the complete system, the complete system of material activity is a source of perplexities for everyone. And when you read this sentence, by nature's own way, the complete system, in other words, it's a systematic, um, would you say, controlled environment that we're living in, although we may not notice it so much. But everything is actually under the control. This energy, this material energy is my energy. Therefore, it's daivi or divine. This divine energy mind, consisting of the three modes of material nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance, is very difficult to overcome. It's like a prison house, Durantia. It's like a prison house. In other words, we're confined. We don't like that confinement. Actually, last week we had a nice young man here, and he said, I don't like it when I can't control things. And he was very adamant about it. And um, so then we find ourselves in those situations. And so it's a complete system a material activity, in other words, each one of the activities, meaning actions that are being taken here, is part of a complete system, which um, is being described here, is a source of perplexity for everyone, because nobody really knows why we do what we do. Because, first of all, you don't even know who we are. And so that's like, that's like running, if you're, everybody here know about baseball? Like, it's like running to third, if you hit the ball, running to third base. When you hit the ball, you run the first base, you don't run the third base. But because of our material complexities, because we don't know what we are or what we're doing, when we hit the ball, we run the third base and we think we're making progress. We're actually going to be called out very quick. And so that's what Bhagavad Gita does. That's what, this, that's what spiritual, true spiritual teachings do. They call you out. That's a modern term, right? We're calling you out. We're calling you out on, on these um, misconceptions, on these bodily misconceptions. So, the author continues, in every step there's perplexity, and therefore it behooves, I love it, it's the English property, was trained in British English, <laughs> therefore it behooves one to approach a bona fide spiritual master who can give proper guidance for the execution of the purpose of life. So unless we know who we are, we don't know what the purpose is. And therefore we find ourselves in a complete system of material activities which are forcing us to act in certain ways, but we don't actually even know how it's all happening because we're misidentifying ourselves with something which we're not. We're identifying ourselves with this material body. And this material body undergoes 
six changes. This is actually, I was reading this and actually yesterday, I'm in the four, I just began the 14th chapter of the day. I was reading this yesterday and um, There are six changes of the body. Actually, I knew this. I didn't have to read it, but I just had to read it. Well, I'm showing up. Yeah, I knew that's why. <laughs> Therefore, there are there are changes of the body which are six in number. The body is born. It grows. It stays for some period of time. It produces some byproducts. It begins to decay or bloom and then it vanishes. Abhyakta dini bhutani abhyakta 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 abhyakta. Abhyakta means unmanifested. I was explaining this last week or the week before. Abhyakta abhyakta abhyakta. Abhyakta means unmanifested. Just like now, I'm 65 years old. So 67 years ago, I was in the abhyakta, unmanifested stage. This body wasn't here. Then Byata, it became manifested. And it will be manifested for a certain period of time determined by the, let me go back to the, to the verse, determined by the complete system of material activities. By this complete scientific system of material activities, there is a particular expiration date somewhere printed on it. And each and every one of us has that printed on us. And so, um, but the nature of the soul is different than that. The soul, Najayate, Mirate, Vakadachin, Nayam, Bhutar, Bhavana, Bhuya, then Nahanyate, Hanyamani, Savile. When this is that the soul is unborn, the soul is unborn, the body is born at a certain point, but the soul is eternal. Uh, it's, un, this, uh, it's, it's unborn, undying, it doesn't die. It's primeval. It's unborn, primeval, undying, primeval, undying. Um, it is everlasting. And then the hanyate hanyamani sadhira. Sadhira means the body. And when this body comes to a point where it's no longer capable of sustaining the soul within, the soul within this body, when the body is, say, it's old and it's too old to sustain it, or by accident, or by whatever circumstance, there's always, there's, we can go through the different, everybody knows the different circumstances, then that soul departs, it leaves that body. And it takes on another set of existence according to the complete system of material activities. That which we do in this, that which we do, that's what we do in heaven, my friends, is coming. Sorry, buddy. Uh, <laughs> that um, each and every one of those activities is producing a reaction. And the goal of spiritual life is to become reactionless, to, if, if there's such a word. In other words, and the process for doing such a thing is to learn how to dovetail our actions in this world with the what would you say, in correlation or in conjunction with those actions which are um, coordinated with the divine. And we, we all have an experience, I would assume, which I don't do. I keep saying I don't assume, but I do it all the time. 
we all we all have that little person inside us that says when you're out of when you're next to the edge of the playing field and you see the white line and you're looking around to see if the ref's looking right and then all of a sudden you touch the line and you hope he didn't look and then all of a sudden you take one step out of bounds and you're hoping he's not looking and we know we're out of bounds in our heart we know it in our consciousness we know i just stepped out of bounds i'm out of the, i'm out of the authorized playing field the flag is going to go but the thing about it is is that um the living entity has four uh, human human beings have four defects they make mistakes, they're an illusion, they have imperfect senses, and they have a tendency to cheat. And so the referees on the playing field, they don't have perfect vision, they're not, um, I don't know you call it, omniscient or omnivisional, whatever the word for that is. They can miss, you can maybe, see, you know, then they have the instant replay and all the rest of they're seeing with the underline or the underline. But the thing is, is that not only do we reside within the heart, within the Pradeshi, our genetishtati, yantra rupjani maya, this material energy, this body is like a machine made of material energy. And the soul resides in the region of the heart. And right alongside that individual soul is the supreme soul, accompanying each and every soul through whatever type of body they take. It doesn't matter, Krishna, is, he doesn't discriminate. If you decide you want to become a hog, he said, okay, do it, I'm with you, you know? I'm, I'm okay with it. You decided that, I can go. I can be your friend. And so, the thing is, is that Krishna sees all these things. And so, all of these actions that, that we make are recorded. I mean, it's not that Krishna is just spending his whole day up there recording the unbillion, billions, gazillions of living energies are down here actions. He's got better things to do than that. He's got a, he got a very good support system up there that does all that work for him. Expansions and different things like that. And so what happens is that all those things are recorded and then as we go through life and when the, we exit this body, all those actions are marked down. And then we have to, it's just like, we, I've given this example so many times. When you go to the grocery store, Today I went to, what's that place called, Sprouts? And I put a bunch of things in the basket. It wasn't like I just walked out the door. I went through the cashier. I went into the cashier and then I, and then she said $41. And I said, call the police. <laughs> and she said, huh? I said, $41, I mean, not like four things, man. I said, how can it be $41, you know? So, uh, she had a laugh on it, so did the other cashier and the other lady that was <laughs> being checked out. They all had a good gut laugh out of it, you know. They also thought they should call the police. And, they, you know. <laughs> and so the thing is, is that as we go through life, we're putting things, we're putting our actions in that basket. And unless we have, unless we have put a proper amount of, or utilize those things that we put in the cart, in the service of the Supreme Lord, then they have, they're not, they're not, they're not reaction exempt. Mm. Just like sometimes, because we're at church, we have state sales tax exemption. So when we go to buy paper plates for the temple, we, when we go to the store, we don't have to pay the sales tax because we're tax exempt. Mm. So if you have, if you have dovetailed our activities, 
that we normally do in this world. We don't say we don't do activities. We just say do those activities in relationship to Krishna. Then they become tax exempt or reaction exempt. Mm. Become re reaction exempt. And then there's when it, when it's scanned, it does it does it does beeps and it comes up zero zero point zero zero. But the ones that we don't utilize in the service of the Lord, then whatever that was, it comes up ten dollars, twenty dollars, thirty dollars, a hundred dollars, a billion dollars, whatever you know, whatever it may be. But if we really want to get into it, there's no action that we can't dovetail in the service of the Supreme Lord. As long as we're within the playing field, in other words, we have to be reasonable with it. In other words, you can't expect you can't expect Krishna to absorb, you know, grossly sinful activities which are mentioned throughout every bona fide religious scripture, as, and then say, "Well, I'm doing it for God." You, you can't do that. You, you know, unless unless you have you know, truth. You know, okay, but I really be careful when I say this. Unless Krishna is directly telling you, and you can actually see his identification card, and you actually know it's really Krishna telling you to do that, and you've you know you've seen his universal form, and you understand him that yes, this is really, this is the real thing. This isn't an imitation. This isn't just some thing in my mind telling me God told me to do it. God told me to do it, and you do some heinous activity. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those actions which are totally authorized by the Supreme Lord. But otherwise, we utilize our activities in the service of the Supreme Lord, and then they become reaction exempt. Mm -hmm. And when our activities are action exempt, our life becomes susukam. It becomes joyful mm -hmm. because there's it, it, there's no there's no what would you call it peace of mind mm -hmm. for a thief. Mm -hmm. If someone's a thief. See, there's two, there's two things, there's two kinds of people. There's thieves and crazy people. <laughs> the, 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 the crazy person walks into the bank and says, I renounce the bank. Oh, my, you guys can have it. It's not his money. He's just crazy and thinks it's his. Right? And the other person walks in as a thief. He just says, he pulls out the whatever, the pistol or machine gun or whatever he has, and the button that he's going to roll up the bank. He says, give me all the money. He's a thief. He's taking that which doesn't belong to him and utilizing it for his purpose rather than the purpose of the person that it actually belongs to. And Krishna is Ishtavashamidam Sarvamyatkinchanja. He is the owner and controller of everything. And therefore everything is meant to be utilized in the service of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And if we utilize it our own, for our own satisfaction, we're stealing. Mm -hmm. We're a thief. And for a thief, there's never any time. And they're not anxious. I know I've known thieves before, right? Even though I even knew one professional thief. I don't get into that too much. I mean, but the thing is, is that this guy, anytime someone knocks on the door, he's like, right, you know, I know what's going on here. You know, he's always worried about like, is it the cops or is it not the cops, right? Because he was, he knew he was guilty. So in the same way, subtly within our hearts, subtly within our consciousness, we know we've been out of bounds. And we know we're not we're not reaction exempt. We know we're not free from the karma, the re karma utilizing it in reactionary term. We know we're not free of that. So what we do is we learn the art of dovetailing, the art of utilizing our actions. Yet karosi jadasnasi jatahosi dadantiyant. That whatever we do, whatever we eat, whatever we give away, whatever austerities we perform, anything and everything we do 
we do as an act of love for the Supreme Lord. Mm -hmm. And an act of love means that the recipient of that love is receiving that which that recipient actually appreciates. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that, you know, clear on that point, that that which we're offering with love is actually appreciated. In other words, it's not something that the person doesn't want us to do. It can't be some concoction that we think, oh, okay, I'll do this, you know, I'll, you know, I'll kill animals and offer animals to the world. No, that's not what he says. Hatram pushkum fruit, water, vegetables, leaves, these kind of things are edibles, and you offer those to me, I'll accept. He doesn't accept those things which aren't of that variety. And that's in most scriptures. Not just the Gita, that's in most scriptures. I, I, I'm sorry, I gave this analogy many times. There was, I had, this uh, Hare Krishna youth, was, she was a student at the University of Florida, and I used to go up to the University of Florida. We, we distributed a thousand plates of uh, vegetarian food on the campus every day. And so she used to come for lunch, and I used to talk to her all the time. It was very bright, sweet lady, and very attached to her kids. And her husband was, was in my school, had a school for a while. So I said, just think, you go home tonight. And your husband, you walk in the door and he said, oh, I'm so happy to see you. I've been thinking about you all day and I was feeling so much love in my heart. I decided to make some eggplant sausage for you. Eggplant, eggplant, pepper, what do they call it? Parmesan. Parmesan, right? And she goes, honey, I don't like eggplant. You know, why do you make me eggplant? No, 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 I was just feeling so much love in my heart. You know, I love you so much. I just, man, I just couldn't control myself. I just felt like I, I had to make some eggplant parmesan. <laughs> so you know, she just okay, whatever. You know, I eat eggplant. I don't like it that much. I eat it. The next day, she comes back from school. Oh, honey, I've been missing you so much. I love you so much. I just decided I'd better. I decided I'd make you know eggplant, whatever, something else. You know? <laughs> <laughs> And she goes, dude, man, like, you know, I told you yesterday I don't like eggplant. What's all this love stuff saying, you know, who do you love, me or eggplant, you know? <laughs> and so if you love, if the person that you're doing the service for doesn't like eggplant, like, say if you're married or you have a friend or you have a whatever, and you, and the per and you know the person doesn't like eggplant, then don't invite them over to a meal with eggplant. You know, invite them over a meal with, you know, mashed potatoes or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Something that you know they like. So in the same way, those things which the Supreme Lord likes are mentioned. Those things which are in the mode of goodness. And you know the number for those verses? It's like 34, determination, the foodstuffs. That's in 17, right? That's in 17. Those foodstuffs which are juicy, you know, fatty, nourishing, healthy, those things in the mode of goodness, Krishna accepts. Those things which are in the mode of passion, hot, pungent, you know, causing irritation in the stomach. He says, you know, mm -mm. those things in the mode of ignorance, the untouchable things that you don't want to mention, you know, or uh, ref you know, refuge or something. And Krishna says, not those things. Those things in the mode of goodness. So we try to situate ourselves on this mode of goodness, this, this clean platform of living. And by the clean living, uh, then we get a clean heart. Mm -hmm. And when the heart becomes clean, then what happens is you have the ability to understand 
it's actually described here that when one takes these types of foodstuffs in the mode of goodness and offers them through prayer, you see, God is absolute. So he can eat with his ears. We can only hear with our ears. God can eat with his ears. He can impregnate with his eyes. He can even do his, his What's the word for this? All the senses work for each and every other. There's a word for that. I can't think of it. Anyway, whatever, whatever there's, there's, there's five knowledge acquiring senses. Each one of those senses can do whatever the other senses do. And five working senses, and they can do the same thing. Because God is absolute. He's not limited like we are. And so, when we offer things to the Lord in prayer, He actually accepts those things. He accepts those things. And then, he takes whatever residual reaction is, because one living entity has to live on another living entity in this world. You can't avoid that. And Krishna knows that. So he's not going to make it so we have a system that we can never escape. He's going to make the system there if we follow a prescribed set of rules and regulations which will give us freedom. Like driving on the road. The rules and regulations on the road are for giving us freedom. Then if we follow these rules and regulations for our behavior, then we'll actually come, we actually come free. But if we don't, we become confined. Mm. Now we're confined in this human form of life, and we have a lot of free will. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot more choices in this human form of life than the trees and the plants and the animals and the insects and the birds and you know, whatever, the crocodiles, you know what I mean? They're just like doing whatever crocodiles do. You know, they can't, they're not sitting here talking philosophy and trying to improve their, you know, what they call it, um, Life, life coaches and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, they're just crocodiling it out, right? And so the same way, we have this human form of life and it's a life where we have this freedom. So if we use this freedom which has been given to us by God due to, our, due to the, the scientific um, reactions to our actions, that it's all there, then we can actually become free and actually not be guilt-ridden as being a thief in the material world, taking that which doesn't belong to us. So that was totally off topic. <laughs> Sorry, but I, I actually wanted to tell you this really cool thing that I read yesterday about how, what, what, how the material body is constituted. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. Now, if these, five, these five things, this earth, water, fire, air, ether, and then the unmanifested modes of nature, goodness, passion, ignorance, and then the subtle intelligence and false ego, and then the inner sense, the mind, mm -hmm. the inner sense, the mind, and then the correlating objects of the sense, knowledge acquiring, like we have these knowledge acquiring senses, the eyes, nose, taste, sound, touch, working senses, we have the tongue which vibrates, we have the legs, we have the reproductive organs, the evacuation organs, these are five uh, working senses, and they're all grouped about the mind, which is the inner sense, which is the inner sense, so there's 11 senses, and then they correlate to the sense objects, sound, uh, uh, smell, uh, seeing, all, these, all they get together, and somehow or other it comes up to be 24. There's 24 elements of material existence. And these 24 elements are there. And, and then these verses, and the, I mean, it's, it's, it, yeah. I'm getting carried away. Anyway, the thing what happens is that the, all these element, all these things work together in such a way, then there's the soul sitting inside these 24 elements and the super soul 
sitting inside these 24 elements. Mm -hmm. And so Krishna explains that one, through this, there's two, what, there's two systems through the analytical study of the material energy. So if we analytically study all these different 24 elements in relationship to ourselves being present within that environment and being um, permitted and witnessed by the Supreme Lord at the same time, then we can come to the conclusion that serving that Supreme Entity is the actual goal of life. And then in the next set of, that's verses 6 and 7 of the 13th chapter, if you want to read it. And then in verses 8 through 12, he gives a system by which one can gain knowledge. Because Arjuna wants to know in this 13th, in this, um, in this 13th chapter, it's called um, Nature of the Enjoyer and Consciousness. He wants to know all about these different things. Um, he wants, oops, that's 12. He wants to know all these. He wants to know all these different things, and it's just it's systematically um, put out. I wish to know about nature. I wish to know about the soul, the enjoyer inside this body. I want to know about the field, this body. I want to know what this body is, and I want to know who the knower, who is the knower of this body. What is the nature of the knower of this field, and what is not? What does actual knowledge mean, and what is the object of knowledge? What, what are we actually searching? What is that knowledge that we're actually searching for? And in these commentaries, our teacher explains that there's so many departments in the universe. I don't know if any of you are, I think you're in school, a couple of you are in school or college and stuff. There's so many departments, sociology, criminology, psychology, engineering, medicine, whatever. There's so many departments. Where is the department that teaches us the nature of the soul? That's only available via spiritual instruction. And this is where we, where we come to today. We come to this point where we take a, take a study that comes by analytical study, one comes to the point of understanding that one should devote everything to the Supreme Lord, or if one just hears that we should engage in the devotional service of the Lord and just engage in the devotional service of the Lord, then the heart becomes light. The heart becomes content. Without that, there's no content. Because there's no material, there's no material thing that's going to satisfy the soul. Because the soul is not material; the soul is spiritual, and the body is just a covering of that soul. And no matter what we do, we can't satisfy the soul that way. All we can do is alienate it. And when you really get down to it, towards the end of that 13th chapter, the soul really has nothing to do with the whole thing. It's just being—it's just he just decided to, you know, to try to be the controller. It comes up in the material world, and then. This ends up flowing through this process of action and reaction in this world. And then there's the process to stop that. And that's where it's given in Krishna consciousness. Quick question? Quick comment? Quick question for Shadam? Yes. Okay, so I love coming here because, like I said, everything that happens here is just very enlightening. I went to church this Sunday and we were talking about Moses and the Ten Commandments. Do you believe in the Ten Commandments? It's funny, I just, somebody just sent me a, um, a, a, a cartoon. Moses is coming down with the, tab <laughs> with, with the tablets and he has Ten Commandments in one hand, another Ten in the other hand. He trips on a stone and drops one. <laughs> Whoops, there's only Ten. There used to be 20, but he said, <laughs> Do we believe in the Ten Commandments? The answer is yes, and here's how. 
And I was listening to an audio tape from the founder of the Hare Krishna movement. And on this lecture, he was saying that the Christians have their Ten Commandments. We have our four regulative principles. So you may know the Ten Commandments. You know our regular no illicit sex, no intoxication, no gambling, and no meat eating. These are our four regulated principles. And he said, they're the same thing. And I'm thinking, Hare Krishna. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm thinking Hare Krishna. I'm just thinking, you know, what is this thing? I got two by ten? I can't, you know, how am I going to figure this one out? And they're the same thing. Of course, he always does, he did as he always does. He says they're the same thing because the purpose is the same. The purpose of the Ten Commandments is to restrict one's life so that they act in the mode of goodness. Mm -hmm. Don't kill, don't steal, don't take your neighbor's land, don't mess with your neighbor's spouse. I mean, you know, don't blaspheme scripture, don't blaspheme God. Mm -hmm. You know, honor your, your, at least honor your family. Don't dishonor them, honor them. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember them all. I mean, I used to have to memorize it. It's been years. And so that elevates one to the mode of goodness. In the same way, the four regular principles, no illicit sex is a pillar of cleanliness. No intoxication is a pillar of austerity. No gambling is a pillar of truthfulness. Mm -hmm. And no mediating is a pillar of mercy. So these are the four pillars of spiritual life which sustain us on a mode of goodness. And it's from that mode of goodness, be it through the Ten Commandments or be it through the Four Regulative Principles, that allow us to understand spiritual, the, 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 the intent of the, of the scripture which we're reading. One of the things I was about to say that I didn't say is that, that when, we were, when I was talking about when we take the foodstuffs and offer them to the Lord, He can, through prayer, He can, he can accept them. So when we honor, when we, we don't just eat, we actually honor those remnants that what do they call that the sacrament sacrament yeah it's been a long time since i've been in the church right? <laughs> sacrament of the, of the of the of the altar right it's considered it's considered holy stuff holy food stuffs so the same thing everything those who are members of the Hare krishna movement eat is a, is a sacrament on the altar it's just you put it in a picture in front of a picture of krishna and you just say my dear lord krishna please accept this through prayer. And Krishna says, okay, thank you. <laughs> Whatever, you know what I'm saying? That was a simple explanation of that. And so what happens is that when one eats those kinds of foodstuffs, the finer tissues of the brain become strengthened. When one is eating things which aren't sinful, those, because, you know, it's not just on Sunday where you get away from that cup of I get wine, you know, I guess they give you grape juice now or whatever. They used to give us wine, they, you know, right? Wait, grape juice and wine. It's not just on Sunday you get like a, like a little dab. It's like every single day, all day long, all we're getting is like sinless food. And because we're getting sinless food, the heart and the mind and the consciousness is being purified. Not only, what would you say, nutritionally purified by the, by the, by the, by the consumption and by that food, but also spiritually enlivened by the consumption of that food stuff. And our, and, our, and our finer tissues of the brain are developed 
from eating spiritual food. And I think you can all relate to that. I'm, I'm just assuming, but I think you can relate. That if you can actually come to the point, and it's so simple, it's not that you have to stop eating. All you have to do is just take three minutes and say, thank you, God. And, if you're, and even, if you're, even if you're at a place where you don't have an altar, you just sit there and you just think, but dear Lord, whatever I have to consume, please accept this as an offering. Mm. Please accept this as an offering. Because it's actually coming from you. It belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. Everything belongs to Krishna. It actually belongs to you. And the analogy is given. Just say, for example, you have a child. And the child is given a certain allotment of, of money for their allowance, whatever it is. And with that allotment, they go out to the store and they buy you something for your birthday or they buy you something for your anniversary or they buy you something for just spontaneously. It's your money and they buy you something. Your heart melts mm -hmm. because they've, they've done it because of love. Mm -hmm. Out of love for the parent, they've done that act. The money comes from them. Out of the act, everything comes from the parent, but the child, out of, re out of respect and out of love for the parent, shows that reciprocation. So in the same way, everything comes from the Supreme Lord. And if we show a little reciprocation, the Supreme Lord goes, finally, they're coming back to me. Yeah, I'll, I'm taking it. And I'll take a little extra, you know, I'll take a little extra burden off your back for that one. That's how cool Krishna consciousness is. Could you imagine when your finer tissues in your brain? I mean, I'm still searching for the brain, but what to speak of the finer tissues, right? And they become open and awake so that when you read scripture, no matter what scripture it is, you actually get the essence of it. That's describing 30, I'll just be done in one second. It's, it's like, um, whoa, oh, tension, tension. That when one can, one can read and understand many scriptures and can and can the ability of the and the ability not only to read many books on different subject matters but to understand them and apply them when necessary is intelligence made up another opulence. In other words, when we, when we can get some information and have the ability to utilize that information, that's called meta. There's different types of intelligence, meta and buddhi. There's different types of intelligence. Another happens. And the ability to overcome unsteadiness is called firmness or steadfastness. And one is fully qualified and yet humble and gentle. And one is able to keep balance both in sorrow and happiness. He has the opulence of patience. These things are meant to be cultivated so that we can advance in spiritual life. They automatically come through the process of devotional service of hearing, chanting, and doing that singing and stuff that we did earlier. But we must know what these symptoms are so that we can actually enact them and actually judge. Not judge, not least need be judged, but we can judge our own self and see whether I'm, whether I'm actually making some progress. Has my heart become humble? Have I become tolerant? Have I become patient? Have I, have I understood the, the difficulties of birth, death, old age, and disease? Have I understood the torments that this world undergoes at every single moment? Am I actually empathetic and sympathetic to the situations that we've all found ourselves in? And, and with that knowledge, am I willing to share something that can free one 
from that environment and give them something that will at least give a little relief. Because if you have a little knowledge, at least you have relief. So they've got the plates of Rashad and they're waiting. The cure time went 15 minutes over time, so I was <laughs> now you know the method of my madness. Okay. Did I hope that helped? That under um, ten commandments. Okay. It helped. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, cool. And one more thing. Okay. Um, when uh, you can bring the prashadam on. I can. When somebody gives you something that doesn't belong to them, what do you call that? When you when somebody gives you something that doesn't belong to them, what do you call that? Dishonest. I mean, I, I mean, if, if somebody gives you something that they stole, then you, I would call them a dishonest person. You see, the thing is, in the scripture, it says that one should be truthful. Truthful means that one should be able to tell the truth even to, the, even to an enemy. You would open that, you know, be, to tell the truth even to an enemy. And so if someone is violating the law and gives you something that you shouldn't, you, that they shouldn't be given you if you're able and to whatever able whatever level you're able to call them up you can just say oh, I'm sorry I don't, I, I, I'm okay or you can say look dude I know you stole this I don't want it depending on your level you can just say I'm sorry or you can just call them up totally depending on the level of relationship everything depends on relationship everything depends on relationship so you don't want to, you just want to keep things cool, but at the same time honest. See, if there are four, remember those four pillars? Truthfulness, uh, mercy, austerity, and what was the other one? Kindness. The, the, in, in this age we're in right now, all four pillars are, the three of, the only pillar that's left is, is, is truthfulness, and that's being deteriorated. Mercy, Cleanliness and austerity have already been reduced practically to none by our sinful actions. There's a little tiny bit of proof, but the axe is being, uh, it's being chopped by the axe of material energy. And so, and so if you have the ability to support truthfulness, please do. Please do take advantage. Okay. So thank you all very much for listening. Sorry I went a little bit long, but not my fault. <laughs>